So we think about Scripture, we think about the body of Christ. We are to rejoice with one another, we're to pray with one another, and so on. And would encourage you to do that as we have in the past. I want to be interacting with some of Mark 13 this morning, and as we begin, I have a $100 bill here. Is this a counterfeit $100 bill or a genuine $100 bill? Looks real from here. (coughs) How are the bank tellers taught to detect counterfeit money? Hey. Okay. Both are correct. If we know what the genuine is, watermark and so on, you can pick it out. And as far as I know, this is genuine. I'm not ready to give it away. <laughs> but I've got a second question. Am I a counterfeit pastor shepherd? Whatever your answer, how do you know? Take your Bibles and turn to Mark 13. Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13. We'll read part of the chapter, then we'll be referring to verses as we go along. We began to discuss this last week. Mark 13 and verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, that is, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone will be here, or not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. And then he goes on to describe things that are going to happen, and we'll interact with part of this passage. And keep in mind that Jesus has ministered in the temple from the end of chapter 11 into chapter 12. In chapter 13, they're leaving the temple. The disciples ask him about the massive stones, and remember, we're talking about stones that are huge, weighing thousands of pounds. And last week, as we mentioned, some of them being like 60 feet long, 12 feet wide, and 12 feet high. We're dealing with massive stones. Lord, what about these massive stones? Look at the magnificent buildings. And Jesus just says, there's a time coming when not one stone will be left upon another. They journey, and they get to the Mount of Olives. 
And that's when Peter, James, John, and Andrew ask some questions. And Jesus responds. And I want you to notice some observations about this passage. There is a strong exhortation to watch, to be alert, to be in your guard. And the reason is so that no one will deceive you. Be alert, be on your guard, so that no one will deceive you. In verse 5 and in verse 23, he says, Jesus said to them, watch out, that no one deceives you. And in verse 23, he clearly states, so then be on your guard, I've told you everything ahead of time. There's an emphasis to be on guard so that you don't follow a false Christ. He tells them in verse 9, to be in their guard, you must be in your guard, you will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. He's warning them, be in your guard so that you don't expect an easy life. Because he says it's not going to be easy. He also says, be in your guard so that you understand Christ's return cannot be known. There should be a not in there. You can't expect Christ to return at an exact time. Now think about that. We are forever tempted to figure out when's Christ going to return. And Christ is saying, you can't know for sure. Look at verse 32. No one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not, not, do not know that when that time will come. So we must be alert. The 12 must be alert. The Roman believers must be alert so that they understand an exact time for Christ's return cannot be known. He says also, be alert so that you will not be unprepared when Christ does return. Look at verse 35. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let, your, or do not let him find you sleeping. When I say to you, or what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Saying to the twelve, don't be unprepared for when Christ returned. To the Roman believers to which Mark was written, don't be unprepared. Watch, be alert. Another observation, the potential for deception of the twelve and of the Roman believers, and I think of even us today, is very great. In verse 5, watch out that no one deceives you. Why would he say, watch out, no one deceives you, if it weren't possible? Look at verse 22. For false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the elect if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. In verse 32. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be in your guard. 
be alert. Apparently a tremendous potential that a false Christ will deceive. So be alert. Another observation. There seems to be a shift in verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation. This is a shift in timing. It seems the abomination that causes desolation is a sign. And we'll come at more on that in weeks to come. Verse 14. <clears throat> When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Seems to be shifting subject there. Just a note that we need to observe. Those days is used several times. Those days in verses 17, 20, and 24 are speaking of the abomination of desolation. Those days when the abomination of desolation takes place. And the abomination of desolation involving the temple in Jerusalem when the temple in Jerusalem is des des desecrated, I guess I would say, and something offered that should not be offered. We also find that false Christ will appear claiming to be the Christ. Clearly states that. In verse 21, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christ coming on the scene. Tied in with that, the genuine Christ can be recognized by coming in clouds with great power and glory. So, is this person who claims to be the Christ, he's, is he real? Is he genuine? No, he's not coming in power with great glory. Clearly stated that when Christ comes back, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. But before that, Jesus says to the twelve, people claiming to be the Christ will come along. The day or hour of the Son of Man coming in the clouds cannot be known. Only the general time period. And again, that is communicated quite strongly that you can know a general time period but you can't know when. <coughs> there is a running admonition against false speculation at the expense of present obedience. A running admonition to be alert, watch, be careful in the present. Don't become so consumed with the future and what's coming and hung up on what's coming in the future that you miss the present. The purpose of Mark 13 is not primarily to give us a map concerning the future. It seems to be much more strongly to exhort us to faithful <coughs> discipleship in the present as we anticipate the future. Children sometimes, if they're told that they're going to go on a trip with mom and dad, and depends on the age of the child as to how they may respond, but suppose a child says, in a month and a half, we're going to go on a trip. We're going to be taking a big trip. We're going to see everything that you would desire to see. And the child says, dad, mom, how long? Six weeks. And for the next six weeks, they're just really disobedient and not very respectful 
And mom and dad say, what in the world is going on with their kid? Well, they're thinking about the trip. That's all they're thinking about. And they're missing the present. And if we're not careful, and I think Jesus is communicating, we can become so consumed with what's coming in the future that we miss the present and we don't live and respond and obey in the present. That's why he says, watch, be alert, be in your guard in the present. There's a question, tell us when these things will be. I think being answered in verses 5 through 13 and 28 through 31. And then another question, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? I think answered in verses 14 through 27, 32 through 37. And we'll comment more on that in weeks to come. So be alert, be prepared. Saying to the disciples, be alert, be prepared. A couple of word definitions in the passage. He says, watch out. Watch out means to be in your guard. Or he says, watch out, be in your guard. It means to have the faculty of insight, to beware, to discern, to guard against. So you hand a couple hundred dollars bill, bills that you're going to deposit to the teller. They're being beware. They're guarding because some money is at stake for the bank and for themselves. So Jesus says to the 11, to the Roman believers, watch out. Discern. Beware, guard against. Why discern, why beware? So that you don't follow a false Christ, which we commented on earlier. So that you recognize that suffering is part of discipleship. And that kind of blows some people away. Suffering is part of discipleship. So we pray for persecuted believers. God, deliver them from persecution. And God would say, that's to be expected. Why pray that they be delivered from what is to be expected? They're being blessed. He also says so that you recognize signs and miracles of the false Christ. False Christ will do signs and miracles so that you recognize them. Be alert and so on so that you give up trying to figure out the exact time when Christ's return will take place. A number of years ago, it's predicted that Christ was going to return in 1992, and then the date was shifted, you know, to another time, and the fellow who made those predictions finally died, and Christ still didn't come back. And we want to know when. And God says, through Christ, live well in the present. What I reveal about the future, you can know, but don't try to figure out beyond what is revealed. So watch out. Be on your guard. He talks about deception that will take place in verses 5, 6, and 22. The idea of deceive is to lead astray, to cause to wonder, to seduce. And he says to the disciples, watch out. Be on your guard so that you're not deceived. You're not led astray. The potential is there. 
And then he says, don't be alarmed. In verse 5, Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, in verse 7, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. You listen to the news. The potential for war is a lot of places in our world. Jesus says, don't be disquieted. Don't be terrified. Don't be disturbed. The end still hasn't come. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Don't be alarmed. So suppose you turn on the news tomorrow night and it says Iran attacked Israel. Israel responded. China is planning to come to Israel. Oh, what's going on? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Live well in the present. Be careful that the teaching on the future does not terrify people and disquiet people because teaching that does that Seems to be contrary to Mark 13 because Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Another definition, alarmed, being disturbed, disquieted, and so on. But then he talks about in verse 14 of chapter 13, when you see the abomination that causes desolation. Abomination means to detest, to abhor. It involves idolatry with its pollution. Daniel 9, Daniel 11, and Daniel 12 talk about the abomination of desolation. Desolation being devastation, waste, and just plain downright ruin. So apparently what will happen, and has happened, the temple in Jerusalem, something offered on the altar to God, that is an abomination to God, it's a waste, it's a ruin. We'll come at more as we go through historically when that happened and what seems to be coming in the future also. He talks about a sign, which is a mark, a token. You know, some extraordinary phenomena. They ask... In verse 4, what will be the sign that these things are about to be fulfilled? That is, the temple being ruined and so on. And we'll discuss that sign again in the future. And then he says, watch. It's a different word than used in verses 5, 9, 23, and 33. It means to be Awake, to be alert, to be vigilant, to be aware. 
Again, see the emphasis on living in the present. He's saying to the 12, watch. You don't know when it's happening. Watch. Be alert. Be vigilant. Clearly stated. Verse 37, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Why? Because if he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. Watch. Be vigilant. Some 42 and a half years ago, I left Chattanooga on a Friday afternoon, somewhere between 2 and 3 in the afternoon. The wedding rehearsal for Ruth Ann and I was going to be that evening, I think at 7 o'clock in Northumberland, Pennsylvania. Our marriage was going to take place the next night, Saturday night, in Northumberland, Pennsylvania. The drive from Chattanooga to Pennsylvania was about 13 hours at that time. The speed limit was 75, you know, before the gas crisis and so on. So it becomes very obvious that I was not going to be at my own wedding rehearsal, which I was not. Ruth Ann knew that. But what did Ruth Ann do that night? What do you think she did? She watched. She knew I was on my way. She also knew there's some snow coming down. She also knew that I was tired. And I was bringing with me a bunch of kids that were going to sleep in the car. And they, she knew I had to drop some off somewhere in Maryland, you know, on an interstate, you know, meet up with someone. And that's not always do, do, easy to do. And I remember it was snowing at that point in time. But she knew I was coming, but she didn't know when. So she watched. I don't know what time she went to sleep. I said, I won't be over early Saturday morning. I'll come Saturday afternoon. I'll get a little sleep. You get your sleep. So I stopped in Saturday afternoon, whether the groom's supposed to see the bride on the day of the wedding was beside the point. But she was watching. She knew I was coming. But when? The thrust of Mark 13 yeah, Christ is coming. But watch. You don't know when. Now, in light of all that is being said, you would probably claim this is a genuine $100 bill. They gave it to me at the bank, and I'm going to deposit, or Ruth Ann's going to deposit it tomorrow. So it's been through the bank a couple of times already, so I think it is genuine. How do you tell a genuine shepherd or teacher? Jesus, a number of times, says, watch, be in your guard, because there's some false Christ that are coming on the scene. So in the day and age in which we live, how do you tell a genuine shepherd or teacher in light of this passage and some parallel passages? couple thoughts. Correct doctrine must conform to the written scripture. 
So suppose three or four or five weeks from now, I get up some Sunday morning and I said, uh, Christ is going to return on January 12th, 2015. And I know Christ is going to return then, but I want to also tell you something else about Christ, that Christ was not born of a virgin. I hope someone would immediately stand up and say, whoa, stop. You're not of God. Doctrine is important, but also character qualified is important. See, when we get to Mark chapter 13, we've already been through chapters 1 through 12. And what does chapters 1 through 12 reveal? Who Christ is. He's the son of God. He is deity. And his life conveyed that. His character was clearly communicated to be God. The same is true of genuine shepherds, character qualified. Titus and Timothy talks about that. Just character qualified. Now you poke them. What are they like? So a fair question for you to ask a Ruth Ann. Does Pastor Dan become easily, or is he easily angered? Ruth Ann says all the time, you just never see it. You better say, I'm going to call pastor immediately and we're going to talk to him because if he's easily angered and he should, you know, that's present, then he's not qualified. That's part of character. I don't think I'm easily angered, by the way. Ruth Ann can vouch one way or the other on that. But character, another thing, care for believers one by one in John chapter 10 and Acts chapter 20 along with Hebrews 13, 17, and 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, just to care for believers. A shepherd, a pastor, is, it is not about him. It is not about his church. It's about the body, people. Just caring deeply for people. Not using people to grow a church. Helping people to live in harmony with God. Shepherding, shepherd believers as a style of life, just one by one. Caring for them, praying with them, helping them to know how to live. Maybe in a group setting, and like we are this morning, it may be one to one, be one to two or three, but just shepherding believers. What do shepherds do? They lead sheep, they lead people how to live well. Another one. A model or example you can observe and follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Philippians 3, Philippians 4, Hebrews 13 and verse 7 all talk about example. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. I as a shepherd or any other teacher or shepherd should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And if I say, do what I say, but don't do what I do, a flag better raise up in your mind. Because now I'm not being a shepherd. We're not talking about shepherds and teachers being perfect, but moving in the correct direction. What is my primary role as a shepherd, as a teacher? To minister God's word. 
to pray and to care for people. Did you hear that? The primary role of a teacher shepherd is to pray, to minister God's word, and to care for people. So a shepherd comes along and says, oh, we got to do this and we got to do that. We got to make this church grow. Maybe you better step back and say, whoa. His primary job is to pray, to minister the word and to care for people. The growth of the church is a work of the Spirit of God and of Christ. As a shepherd faithfully leads people. I dare you to do this. <laughs> Sometimes I'll say do this, but you know, it's just getting you to think. I dare you to do this. Whether it be me or some other pastor, walk up to them and say, how much time do you devote to praying for your people? How much time do you devote to praying with your people? See, that's part of whether someone's a true shepherd or not. Jesus says, be on your guard. Now, how to discern the real and you'll recognize the unreal immediately. I'm of the opinion in this passage of Scripture is to show Jesus as unique, one of a kind in his character as being as identity, who knows the future and graciously warns his disciples not to seek to know what's coming, but to live in dependency upon himself in the present. And in doing that, to guard against the false shepherds that come along. Jesus spoke to the 11, and it wasn't too many years after Jesus spoke to the 11 that false Christ came along. And they have been coming along ever since. <coughs> know the real thing. Christ. What he is like, then you'll know what his under-shepherds should be like. And you can understand what God has revealed about the future. Be willing to stop with that because you're seeking to follow a shepherd in the present. Am I a counterfeit? How do you know? I think I already answered how you would know. Maybe this is shifting gears for just a moment. Are you a counterfeit disciple? Or are you a genuine disciple? A genuine follower of Christ? Any questions in light of what we have discussed this morning? <clears throat> I'll reiterate my warning. The warning of Jesus. Watch out so that you're not deceived. Know that which is correct. And don't be sucked in. Tons of stuff around the world has been around since the time of Christ. Let's pray together.
Father, it'd be our desire to be humble before you, obedient to you. And as we think about Mark chapter 13, and we'll discuss in the future what is being communicated, explaining the passage in more detail. We want to understand it. We want to be content with what you do reveal about what is coming in the future and not go beyond your word. And as we live in the present, as the Roman believers lived back in the early church, as the disciples lived, we want to be those who are alert and sensitive and watching so that we live well in the present for your glory. We know that the disciples that you had responded in that way, and the early church was attempting to do that. And may we be a body of believers here at Roaring Brook that does the same thing. For your glory, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.